Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 175 of Selling the Couch. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. So this episode is actually part one of a two-part series. I actually had thought about doing this topic on one episode, but it just felt like there was just so much information. And the topic is starting a peer supervision group. I know that many of us aspire to do this. It's a great way to combat that isolation that many of us experience as business owners. It's a great way to get feedback on cases. It's a great way for cross referrals and things like that. And my guest today is Jill Kaufman. Jill is a licensed clinical social worker in Princeton, New Jersey. Her website is at Princeton Counseling and Parenting Center.com. And in today's episode, we're going to actually talk about the topic and the format of a peer supervision group. And in part two, we're going to talk about whether it makes sense to actually price to for the members to actually pay to be part of a peer supervision group. And then we're going to talk about the frequency of the group. So this episode is chock full of information. In this particular episode, we're going to talk about how do you figure out the topic for your peer supervision group? How do you determine the number of members, the pro and cons of a topic base, like for example, a trauma-based peer supervision group or a versus like a general peer supervision group. And we're going to wrap up just talking about some of the common formats within the group. So how do you structure each time that you meet and, and what has Jill found helpful? Today's podcast is supported by Turning Point HQ. Uh, this is a brand new sponsor on the STC podcast, but David and I call him Dave. Dave and I have gotten to know each other over the past two years. He was a previous STC podcast guest. And honestly, Dave is one of the most kind and generous and helpful people that I know. And with sponsors, you guys know I'm, I'm super discretionary in terms of who I share uh, the STC audience with. And Dave, when uh, we talked about sponsorship, he was one of those people. I just, I had zero doubt. And so Dave is a financial planner, uh, specifically for therapists, and his whole mission is to transform your relationship with money. I know for many of us, uh, money is something that, and the money stories that we have often been told, it impacts a lot of how we do business. It impacts how we approach things like retirement and investing and all of those things. And Dave understands that, and he comes 
from just a very heart-centered place to help us build out an investment in a retirement portfolio. Dave actually has this really cool guide. Uh, it's absolutely free to download, and it's called The Seven Money Mistakes That Hold Therapists Back. You can find it over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And that guide has a lot of the things that, that can hold a lot of therapists back. And actually, if you go through that link as well, you get $200 off any service that Dave provides. So we'll get right to today's conversation. Here's my conversation with Jill Kaufman from Princeton Counseling and Parenting Center. Hi, Jill. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Hey, Melvin. Great to be here. I was telling you this before we started, but I started to jot down questions and think through this episode. And I was like, oh my gosh, trying to discuss peers, like creating a peer supervision group in one episode is going to be way intimidating. So I'm grateful we're doing this over two episodes. Yeah, it's a lot of information. I think it will be very beneficial to do it in two episodes. I'm not going to make any assumptions, but so what exactly is a peer supervision group? Okay, so a peer supervision group is a group of peers that meet to provide support for one another in a variety of ways. And it's beneficial because especially when people are in private practice, you know, you really don't have anybody to bounce ideas off of, to present cases to. So it's a wonderful way to connect with other therapists and get support. So I was at an agency for several years and we had a weekly peer meeting and it kind of was like a peer supervision group where we met and we talked about cases and we had presentations and it was amazing how much we got out of that. We bonded and we connected with each other in a way that you don't when you're just passing each other in the hallway and you're you're talking to each other. So that's basically what I use as my model for a peer supervision group. And it's helpful when you're in private practice to have that. Yeah, no, I I could definitely see why it's helpful because I think for many of us, we are in solo practices or even if we're part of a group practice, like we are part of a group, but it can be like kind of isolating, right? In that even in a group context. And so you mentioned, I, I mean, I could see why something like this would be so helpful. So you mentioned something. I just wanted to kind of dive a little deeper. You said this is a, a group of peers. You support each other in a variety of different ways. So is this like, again, it's a really silly question, but like clinical stuff, business stuff, combo, like life stuff, all of that? Like, Well, it could be anything, actually. And clinical is one benefit where you can present cases and get feedback from peers. And it's actually really helpful, you know, when you're seeing clients on your own, you are isolated, you don't have anybody to bounce these ideas off of. And if you can present it to a group of peers, it's amazing how much you can learn from each other and use and help your practice. So clinically, yes, it's a wonderful thing to do. But also for a business, when you have a private practice, you don't really have anybody to help you unless you're hiring people. So it's wonderful to get ideas for marketing. If you, for cross referrals, you can get lots of creative ideas that you probably wouldn't be able to think of on your own when you're talking with your peers in, in this kind of a format. 
Yeah, Jill, when you were just saying that, I had like two thoughts. One was, I think about even some of the, like the independent contractors that like help and support STC. I feel like every one of them so far, I've figured them out by like reaching out to peers, like from recommendations of peers as opposed to like cold, you know? And I think there's just such value in that. The second thing is I think a lot about, man, I just like lost my train of thought, but I know for me, something that I struggle with is it's this weird thing. And I don't know if you've ever struggled with this. On one hand, you've realized that most of us don't have this sort of business training. And on the other hand, there is this sort of like blind confidence slash cockiness that can kind of get in the way. Like, oh, I can do this on my own. I don't need the support of someone else, you know? Right. And for me, like every time I've gotten into that mentality versus just saying, you know what, there's stuff that I sh- probably shouldn't be doing. And I don't quite know. I feel like I've just gotten, I've created more chaos <laughs> than needs to be. Right. And the interesting thing is that a lot of people are worried that if you talk to peers and you share with peers, maybe they're going to take your business ideas or they're going to take your referrals and that it's actually the opposite. You know, once you share ideas with people, you get more ideas and it's been amazing for referrals because everybody has their own specific niche. And even if your niche is similar to someone else's, you need people to refer. For example, if I'm seeing an individual whose spouse wants somebody, you know, to start counseling with, they're not going to come to me, so I'm going to need to find another person who has a similar uh, niche to me. So it's amazing how much you get from meeting with your peers, and it's really helpful to to have um, others to connect with in in that way. Yeah, um, I'm glad you mentioned those fears, because I think that is like a common fear. Tell me if this has been your experience, but I think one thing I've learned is especially with this idea of niching and especially as we become confident as business owners, we know our strengths and we know for me, I like to get a better idea. I don't know. I fully know, but you know, your strengths and you know, your limitations and you realize this, you just have this realization that I can't serve everybody right in the way right. that they deserve. And there's probably somebody else that can better do it. And maybe I can just, share this person with them because at the end of the day, if it helps them, right? At the end of the day, it should be about helping the person, right? Right. And sometimes you don't want to help that person. That's not what you enjoy in your practice. You know, like you don't, you'll do better if you get people who you enjoy working with, you know? So it could be you can't help them, but, or you just don't, don't want to work with people who have those issues. Just shifting a little bit. So you said there's like multiple ways to, to tackle a peer supervision group. Um, how exactly do you figure out like a topic for the group? So f- I guess the reason I asked this question is, so could you do like, for example, a peer supervision group focused on, you know, couples undergoing divorce or could it be general, like a general practice business building slash supervision group? Like, how do you even figure out what a, like a topic for that group is? Or could it even be in seasons, for example? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the individual group. Every group has their own personality. And so when you initially get people together, you want to kind of feel that out and see if people are interested in more a specific topic like 
trauma or divorce or parenting or something. And if they want to focus on that one topic and really go deep into that topic, you can do that because then you're going to get people who have similar, you know, practices and can help each other more clinically. But, you know, what I've found in my group and, and the other groups that I've been a part of is that having a variety of backgrounds is really beneficial because even if you're working with different clients, there are similar techniques that you use and there are things that you can learn from each other that you don't get from when you have a single topic group. So, and then if you want to do more of the business side, that's something that you can focus on also, but I find that having all of those things and just taking different turns with different meetings, it's really a nice way to kind of combine all those things and get so much out of the group. I forgot where I heard this, but I could see that in a way, like if you have all of the peers that work with a very similar population, I could see something like groupthink being incorporated, like that right. happening very easily, right? And I remember when I first started like more of like my, my personal business mastermind group, one of the things that I had heard is you should try to get people from sort of different areas and that have different experiences. And I think you're alluding to this, which is that their experiences, even though it may not be exactly aligned with what your experiences are, the fact that they have those experiences gives them a different lens by which to approach some of the things that you're dealing with. Exactly. And on the same token, if you get people with a different level of experience, like if you have someone kind of new to counseling and someone who has 20, 30 years of experience, you're going to get a different view because someone's just out of school and they've got maybe new techniques and, and things that are going on in the, in school and graduate school now. Someone who's 20, 30 years old has no idea what that is. So it, it is helpful to have different viewpoints and experience. I wanted to dive a little bit deeper, uh, which is what would you say are like the biggest pros and the biggest cons of a topic-based group? So for example, like clinicians that just work with trauma or clinicians that just work with millennials versus like a general peer supervision group where, you know, you do have clinicians that have a variety of experiences. So I think there are pros and cons to both, but the pros to you know, having a topic-based group is that you can go really deep into a topic. You're all interested in the same area, you know, so you're all going to be really knowledgeable about that one area. And you can go to trainings together. You can easily get somebody to come and train the group and maybe get a discount for that. So I think there, you know, there are pros to that. But the cons are that you're not exposed to the other areas. You can't cross-refer as much you know, and you're kind of limiting yourself because maybe you, you are focused on a niche, but maybe you want to add to that niche a little bit and you don't get exposed to other areas. So the referral piece of it, I can't highlight enough because it's amazing how many times I get referrals from groups that I'm a part of because you feel like you really know that person. And, you know, if you're a one topic group there, I think that's going to happen a little bit less. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I could definitely see that because there's so much overlap, right? So the mindset right. may be more, let's dive really deep in. I have similar levels of experience to you, at least same ballpark versus 
the general format might be, you know what, I realize this is my strengths and this is me working in those. I do wonder if there might be almost like a hybrid format, like, cause I guess, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like of the two, you would probably prefer more of like the, the variety of folks, right? Yeah, I mean, that's just my preference. I'm, I'm sure there are people who really are focused on one area and just want to have a peer supervision with that one area. Mm. But that's just my bias, I think. Right. No, I was, um, so, I mean, I, and I completely get that because I think I, I'm sort of biased toward that way too. I was thinking, is there a way to do like a hybrid? So for example, let's say that you have four different people with four different areas of expertise and maybe it's like, you break it down into like first three months, we dive really deep into this topic of this person's clinical interests. The second, you know, something like that. Right. Maybe, I don't know. Well, I think, you know, we're all clinicians. So like, mm-hmm. even if we have different niches, if you present a case, everybody gets interested in it, even if it's uh-huh. not your area specialty and everybody kind of contributes because we all have experience with no matter what topic it is, you probably have, once you've been in this business a while, you have experience in it. So, you know, there are ways to be helpful and interested, even if it isn't exactly where your niche is. You know Mm. what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, How do you determine the number of members that are in a peer supervision group? So this varies depending upon what your goal is for the group. So if you want an intimate ongoing group, I would, my group is seven people. We meet once a month and it's a nice number because if one or two can't come, we still have five and it's a very good working group. But anything we've talked about adding to that number and we worry that it's just going to get too big for each of us to feel like we can be heard. So I would limit it to that if it's one of those intimate where you're all contributing and you're all presenting. But if you, like, I also had a group of therapists that met that were, it was about 25 therapists, and it was, um, we meet every six months, so it's just, you know, it's not as an intimate group, and but it's a really good group to get referrals and to get your name out there, and you do have to break that group down into smaller groups in order to really connect with each other. But so you can have a bigger group and make it work, but it's just going to be a totally different experience. Yeah, I can't imagine 25 people. I mean, yeah. I could see like the, the cross referral component and just the, the sort of connection man, but wow, it's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, but it's great. It's, it's like instead of having coffee with 25 people, yeah. that takes a long time. You have one meeting and yeah. you get to meet all these people. Right. So when you're doing these meetings, are they like in person or are they like, you know, using some sort of like a video, like a HIPAA compliant video conferencing software kind of thing? So the groups that I do that I'm talking about are in person. You absolutely can do an online group. And I have a Facebook group of therapists. That is great. You know, that's another way to do it. But, you know, there's something about meeting in person and getting to know each other that way that is is different. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. The thing I also just wanted to ask is I feel like a lot of people get stuck on format, right? This thought of a peer supervision group sounds wonderful, but then it's like, what do we do it every, every time we meet? Um, so I wanted to kind of break it into two questions. One is what is the general format? Like, is it a, you know, like a check-in case presentation close? Like what have you found that's been helpful? 
So I think food is really important. <laughs> oh, I like this. I like where we're starting here. <laughs> so we have food at every of our meetings. Um, and it just gives, we do like an hour and a half meeting. The first half hour, we're just, you know, grabbing something to eat, having, I always have tea, you know, cause tea's really calming for me. And it kind of gives you a feeling that you're not in the office. This isn't, you know, just about work. And, you know, it, food, there's something about food that's bonding, you know, so we all just for the first half hour just talk and eat and drink our tea. And it's really, the meetings become more about self-care because we're really looking to do something for ourselves. And that's what the first half hour is. And then the hour we sit down and we either present a case or the last time I met with my group, I was doing a webinar a few days later for the first time. And so they were like, why don't you present your webinar? So I did a practice presentation of my webinar, which was so nice. And we've had um, people speak on their individual specialty or we kind of decide since it's once a month after the meeting, we decide what we're going to be doing for the next month meeting. And so it depends what is kind of at the top of our priorities for that next month. And we decide as a group what we're going to do. That's cool. Um, and then you guys decide that like what last, last 10 minutes or something, or how does that? Yeah, the last few minutes where you decide on the date for the next meeting and the topic or the what the focus is. And usually somebody has a case to prepare to present. And I'd say 70% of, of the meetings are a case presentation. This might be like really nuanced, but so I've had, I've been in groups where it, you present a case and you're both talking about it from the perspective of like your own perspective, like what you're experiencing, transference, counter-transference. And then you're also talking about the client and sort of like the dynamics, right? And then I've also been in other groups where the focus is strictly on the clinician. So you can present the case, right? But the the feedback that has to be given has to be focused just on how the clinician can improve their interventions versus discussing like dynamics, right? Have you like gone any deeper into either one of those formats and found one helpful over the other? Anything like that? Are you guys pretty flexible? What do you do? I think we do a combination where talking about the actual case and ways that we can approach the case differently and specifically what the clinician can do differently. And I think, you know, there's so much safety in my group after meeting, you know, it's been a couple of years that we've been meeting every month mm-hmm. that we really are able to share our vulnerabilities and we get really positive feedback from each other on our strengths and how to improve, you know, things that we're not as strong on. So I think we really are flexible in our, the way we give feedback for the case presentations that we make. And if something's not helpful, we also say that, you know. Yeah, that I think speaks to the safety of the group. Yeah. One really quick question, which I probably should have asked at the beginning. How did you even connect and decide to form this group? (laughs) It's a very interesting story, actually. I was at this agency and then, you know, I left the agency to start my private practice and a bunch of people left the agency at the same time. So we kind of really missed seeing each other. And I didn't ask everybody who left. I asked a couple of the people who left. And then I am in an office with other clinicians, but we're not, 
you know, we don't practice together. And two of the clinicians in that office, I really, I don't know, I just felt would be open and would be good additions to a group. So I kind of reached out to everybody. And, you know, everybody that I reached out to was really open to it and, and in need of it. And so we had a first meeting and then we ended up adding one more person based on somebody recommended that person. And it was amazing how thankful they were that I started this group because it's really amazing how much you don't realize that you need this, you know, if you're in a private practice, because if you don't have it, it's a disadvantage, you know, it's a very, it's a big disadvantage. I think just on multiple levels, right? Not just clinically, but like in terms of our own business growth, personal growth, all of those different things. Yeah, I mean, we as therapists are giving every day to our clients, and you need to replenish that. So this is one way to do that. Yeah, no, sounds good. Jill, we are going to dive into part two, which is we're going to actually talk about pricing and I mean, uh, pricing frequency, that kind of stuff of a peer supervision group. But before we do that, how can we learn more about you and the good work that you're doing in the world? So my website probably is the best way, and it's PrincetonCounselingAndParentingCenter.com. Perfect. And you guys can find the links to Jill's website and practice over on the show notes page, which you'll find both on episodes 175 and 176. And you can find that at SellingTheCouch.com forward slash session dash 175 and dash 176. Um, Jill, thank you again for doing this. Thank you, Melvin. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jill, and I hope that it's given you a starting point, especially if you've been thinking about creating a peer supervision group or the peer supervision group that you are currently have in place is just not quite working the way that you had hoped. Jill mentioned a number of different tips and resources, and you can find that over at sellingthecouch.com-175. And just a, a slight tangent, but one of the things that I'm actually working in the STC directory is actually creating something where it makes it easier for you guys to form, for us to be able to form peer supervision groups. And we're still trying to figure out the the format of this, but basically, if you're a directory member, you would be able to submit your information, and then we would match you up with a peer supervision group, likely meeting online, uh, possibly in person, possibly based on topics. There's a variety of different things we can do. So we're just trying to think through that right now. But uh, if you'd like to learn more information, you can check out sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Before we wrap up, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Turning Point HQ for supporting today's podcast session. So Turning Point HQ is the result or is the brainchild of David Frank, who is a financial planner. For therapists. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Dave and I actually have gotten to be good friends, just an awesome person to work with. And one of the things that Dave will help us to do is create a holistic and an intentional retirement and an investing plan that supports you to lead a really awesome life. Because ultimately, I think for many of us, it's we invest, right, to create the life that we want. And uh, it's to do it in an intentional way. And Dave, honestly, is just one of the most like heart-centered folks that I've ever met. And you're absolutely going to be in good hands with him. You can learn more about Turning Point HQ and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com 
forward slash turning point HQ. And if you go through that link, uh, Dave actually created this seven financial mistakes that therapists make. It's a free downloadable and uh, you can download it right there. And then you also get $200 off any of your, any of the services that Dave provides. Be sure to mention that you heard it on STC. Have a great rest of your day and thank you so much for joining me. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business, just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.